I'm a savage. Yeah. Classy, bougie, ratchet. What's up, Savage Boss Babes and Dudes? It's Diana inside the Savage Podcast once again with a very cool episode that I'm very excited to be able to share with you. So please, before we go any further, uh, let me introduce her. This is a fellow Savage Boss Babe. Welcome to the club, Jen Zabed. She is the owner and hash creator inside Baked Bird. Welcome, Jen. Hello there. <laughs> um... I am so happy that you're here because we've been following each other for a while. Uh, we have tried each other's coffee, each other's food. And um, let me say that hands down, not just because you're in front of me and not just because I'm trying to, you know, make you feel good. And just because you're here, your, your stuff is like, it's, it's the real deal. It's, Thank you. it's dope. It's what the kids are calling fire. <laughs> My husband, he laughs every time somebody says that. He's like... <laughs> Uh, uh, and we got three bussins in one day. Okay. Yeah. Everyone was like, man, this crew is bussin. And he's like, <laughs> what is going on? He's, he's looking at you. Like, Can you translate translation, please? What does that mean? <laughs> he loves all the new slang. Staying hip with the times. You there know? you go. <laughs> well, tell me about yourself. Where are you from? And what were you doing before hatching, before the hatching of the bird? Well, um, before the baked bird which feels like it's been a century, but it's really only been a year and a half. Um, I had lived in Michigan and graduated from high school. I immediately knew I wanted to go to culinary school. So I left at, gosh, uh, barely 19. I went to Phoenix. Uh, seems like a far jump Michigan to Phoenix, but honestly, straight down to it is I could only afford school and not an apartment. So I lived with a cousin of mine that we grew up really close together. And then um, after I graduated, I met my husband. And that's actually how we became to be a thing. Um, we worked together as chefs in separate restaurants for probably about four years on and off-ish before we had kids. And then our jobs took us. I became a stay-at-home mom because chef life is... It's a lot. And my husband was focusing on his career, so I was focusing on the kids and everything like that. And then once we moved to San Antonio, we had only been here probably about, I think, eight or nine months before the pandemic hit. And my husband ended up losing his job. So I thought, I don't know when this is going to end. How are we going to make money? So it just went right down to, like, we need money. This is how I can do it. And I only knew how to bake one thing, which was cinnamon rolls. So I invested $60 in flour and made them into cinnamon rolls and sold them to my neighbors, my neighbor's friends, friends of friends of friends, and like continuously was hustling on Nextdoor. And then slowly it just evolved into like my biggest dream, which is owning a food truck and Scratch Made, which is just overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but it definitely sets you apart. It yeah, sets you apart from the rest of the flock. <laughs> from the rest of the flock. That's every day that we open up. We just want like we want to change the face of breakfast. We're tired of people saying, like, I don't like gravy. Like anytime I hear someone say I don't like gravy, I want to know why. I want to know exactly why, and I want to change your mind about it. And if you don't like my gravy that I sell on the truck, I'll probably cry about it. But I would love to know why, you know, so that I, it's always a why for me because I'm 
I want to be right. Like I want to like impress you. I want to impress the customer. I want them to be like, I can't get this anywhere else. I'm invested, invested in me, the business, the yokester, you yeah. know, like the English muffin. I want it to be something that you want and you need. And something that when they post on social media, they're going to use that uh, mind blown emoji. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And you know, it's funny because I read every comment and I read and I see every picture. And sometimes just reading some of these reviews, you read them after like hour 65 of work and you're just like, <sighs> someone saw it, someone felt it, someone like experienced it. And I changed breakfast for them. You know, I love that people go on vacations and they're, or, you know, they visit their family here and they're like, they bring them by the truck. The fact that your family came from another state or city to visit you and you thought, I'm going to take them to get breakfast from the baked bird is like the highest level of flattery, I think. So originally from Michigan. Michigan. What was life like in Michigan? Well, it's funny because I actually grew up in a town of 1500 people. And my husband still laughs about it because we had one stoplight and the light flashes after eight or sometimes six, sometimes 8 p.m. to yellow. So like it doesn't even act as a stoplight after that. It's just there. It's just there. It's like a four way (laughs) stop. And, you know, we had um, two restaurants and a subway and nothing else. Like I grew up in the country, um, a lot of Amish in my hometown very small town, very safe. Um, and I got my first job in a kitchen there. So it's like, it's nostalgic for me, but it's also like, it's not for me anymore. You know, like you can go home and feel safe and your kids can have that country life. And also know that it's just like, you're glad you moved on. Yeah. And I totally understand what you're talking about because I mean, I'm a, I'm an Oregon country girl. I was born and raised (laughs) in a small itty bitty town, central Oregon. I think we had Three, three lights. So we were just a little bit bigger <laughs> than you. Bigger. You had the good stuff. Yeah. I had the good stuff. But um, yeah, I think it's about three lights and you've gone through the whole town. Um, I haven't been there in a while, so I'm not sure if, if we've gotten any more lights or not. <laughs> any more lights or not. And if they stay on. And if they stay on. But I, I know what that's like. When did you discover your, your love for the culinary arts? Well, it's actually kind of funny because um, I had a friend in high school that was very interested in culinary school. And we were looking on the internet at culinary schools. This was probably when I was in ninth grade. And I always thought that I wanted to do something in the medical field. So we were just playing around on, this was like the beginning stages of the internet. And we were looking at culinary schools and I just thought, wow, that looks so fun and uh, carefree. And my family, my, my dad cooks, but my mom, she's a very picky eater. She, she does not eat anything, <laughs> like anything. So I said, you know what, I want to learn how to make all of this stuff. And I did end up taking classes in like medical stuff, but um, it wasn't for me at all. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go to culinary school. And I didn't know anything. And sometimes I look back at my culinary notes and I'm just like blown away that I took notes on that, you know, because now it just seems so silly. It's been 14 years since I graduated culinary school and it blows me away that I took notes on the most simple, simple, simple things that I should have just known. But I never knew anything before culinary school, not how to make a sauce, anything. Did you do any cooking at home? None. I had no idea. So your dad was mainly the, the yep. one in the kitchen? 
Yeah, and he had like he's gonna kill me when he hears this, <laughs> <laughs> and he's gonna hear it. <laughs> he's gonna hear it. Uh, my dad, it, he's he cooks more adventurous now, I'd say, but I think he kind of kept it tame because when my mom and him were married, um, she was very particular, and he wanted it to be a family type atmosphere where we all sat down and we had dinner together. Um, so it was very much just like hamburgers hot dogs, spaghetti, like basic things. And a lot of times my mom would help start it up because he was still driving home from work. And then when he got home, he would do the grilling or he'd do the finishing and that kind of stuff. But really, I didn't have any idea how to make anything from scratch. I honestly, I thought cheese sauce came in a can and that was like the only way you could make a cheese sauce. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it's, <laughs> like when I see it in a can now, I'm just like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I love cheese sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so you decide to go to culinary school. And is this right after high school? Yeah, basically. So I spent about a year. Um, I had actually lost my job. Um, I was making pizzas at our local bowling alley. And I lost my job. And I had been working there for three years. So I thought, man, I have three years of solid experience, at least making pizza, right? So you go into this job not knowing anything, though, right? Nothing. So I... And, and you start picking up some of your, your skills there? Yeah. So this lady named Tina, she actually still works there at the bowling alley. And she worked there before I started. And I go She's back. probably going to be listening to this too. I What's know. up, Tina? What's up, Tina? <laughs> um, she'll love the shout out. Um, I visit her every time I go back because she taught me so much. And she's such a hard worker. So I learned to make pizzas, burgers, wings, like fried food, that kind of stuff. And I thought... I can find another job. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, I couldn't. <laughs> so I left uh, to go to culinary school and I thought there's no way I can't find a job with experience and with a culinary degree. So that's how I got my start, I guess. And what was that experience like going to culinary school? Um, culinary school was the best time of my life. My most expensive time of my life. I can only imagine. <laughs> um, it was interesting. So I went to Le Cordon Bleu, which at the time was Scottsdale Culinary Institute. And they were just switching over to full Le Cordon Bleu. And they signed up a ton of people at one time. And then they basically warn you that the class sizes will go down. And they'll go down and they'll go down. So we started with 65 students, five of which were women. And then by the end of it, we graduated with five total students. And I was the only woman. Um, so it was just like an experience to like really step outside of being a small town girl, being in my hometown, being in a safe area where I've grown up around these people and really just like develop who I was as a person, I guess. What, what do you think was your, your biggest challenge during this time? Probably, well, one, I moved from a 1,500-person town to Phoenix. So I think, like, <laughs> learning directions was... <laughs> I can totally like, understand. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. So it's like, get to school, get to work, get to school, get to work. And that was my main focus. And I just said, you know, you left everything behind. This is your chance to just, like, break out, do exactly what you want to do. And I think the hardest part was just like staying on track for that, staying like undistracted, I guess, by everything that could just pop up and be like, oh, this is hard. Maybe I'll go this direction or that direction. Just 
I'm going to stay focused on school. I'm going to give it everything. And this will lead me to where I want to be in the end. During this time that you're doing, that you're studying, uh, at any moment, did you have any inclination towards any particular thing like baking or, um, I mean, I don't know, there's all kinds of fields (laughs) in the culinary field. So Uh, did you have any inclination? No. No, not really? No. So it's funny, like looking back on it, I just wanted to be like a badass line cook. (laughs) Like that's it. And I just didn't care what I cooked. You know, it's like, uh, I know people have specialties and they have favorites and they have things. I mean, I guess my specialty is comfort food and, um, baking is actually like a sore subject for me because I was kind of, um, when I graduated high, when I graduated culinary school, um, I got my first job, which was a baking job, even though I had graduated from culinary and it had a lot of challenges for me because Baking and culinary, it's kind of like a rivalry. Like a lot of people don't know it. Please do explain. (laughs) Please, more details. (laughs) So there's typical personalities, I guess, like where you're a line cook or you're a baker. You're never really just like what, you're never both. You're just one or the other. And um, I kind of, I don't want to say I got forced into the role. I took the role willingly because I thought, what if I was the top of my culinary class and then I had this actual professional baking experience? Well, I didn't get all of the experience I was like initially after, I guess, but I did get my husband. Shout out, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when we were working together, you know, in the kitchen, it was like pastry was off in its own little corner and it did its own thing and like was he doing pastries also no no so he was actually the executive sous chef of the restaurant so he was leading the line and doing the ordering and big boss things gotcha and then I was kind of like a one-man team over there in the corner and I was always just like I want to be on the line I want to be on the line I want to be on the line So he started to work me into the line because we were talking, you know, like, this isn't where my passion is at. This isn't what I went to school for. And so he started to train me slowly um, to work the lunch menu because normally during lunch at this particular restaurant is slow. So there'd be one cook or sometimes it'd be him as the cook. And we'd work side by side, like putting out the dishes together and reading the tickets and prepping the line and that kind of stuff. It's just, I had to hurry up and do all my baking stuff on the side. You know, it's kind of like when your parents tell you to clean your room and you can go outside. That's how I felt like hurry up and do all this boring baking stuff. And then I can get to the line. So not trying to be all up in your business, but still in, in your business, Get getting in there. In there. Um, <laughs> d- so did you guys, you guys fell in love at here in, in this situation, in this, in this restaurant where you guys were working together? Uh, yeah. So it's a funny story because our chef, shout out Chef Tim, uh, he and Matt were very close friends. They opened up, um, he was kind of like Matt's mentor and they opened up the W Hotel in Scottsdale which had Sushi Roku restaurant inside it. And they worked hand in hand to like build this restaurant from the ground up together. And so when I came into it, it was like a joke between Matt and Chef. So Chef Tim would say, oh, Matt was talking about you last night. He couldn't stop talking about you. When we went out for beers, he was talking about you. And then when he was with me, he'd say, you know, like we'd go back and forth about it, about talking about how chef would tell him that I was talking about him. So chef was playing matchmaker between us and he was just kind of like, you two should go out. And then really, yeah. 
So we started texting and stuff, but it was just like platonic stuff. And then I accidentally chef dyed all of my chef coats purple. I put too much bleach in the water and I wrote him really scared. Like I've got to be to work in like 12 hours and all my coats are purple. And he was like, it's cool. Just go to work. And so I asked him what he was doing and he was like, oh, I'm out with my friend. And then I just said, you know what? I'm going to say we should go out. And I was just like, we should actually go out on a date. And he was like, we should absolutely actually go out on a date. Look at you taking control of stuff. (laughs) And so it's just like ever since then, like we knew like right when we started dating, you know, we went on dates, a couple dates after that. And then we were just together. And that was that. That was that. 13 years now that we've been together. Congratulations. That's crazy. That's that's a big accomplishment. It's crazy. Like sometimes I talk to people who are my age who have just gotten married or are just having kids. And like I got married at 22 and I had a baby at just barely 20, almost 24. And it's just like, whoa. <laughs> How did 13 years go? Fly by. Fly by. Yeah, so we just kind of connected in a weird way and like we understood each other. He is definitely the yin to my yang. He keeps me from doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I would slap up a new menu every day. (laughs) But he keeps you grounded. Yes. He's like, no, Jen, calm down. Calm down. You can't do it all. (laughs) And I say, yes, I can. Watch me. And then I get all like, I'm going to do it all. (laughs) So Scottsdale, do you guys uh, stay there or what makes you move out? Well, we lived in Scottsdale, Phoenix area until probably 2018. And he worked for Aramark, which is a big corporation. He actually um, ran an aquarium in Scottsdale and they offered him a position in Oklahoma that was great for his career. So we took it and we got there and we actually didn't like it. So I said, you know what? I really don't like it here. And he said, I don't really like it here either. And we messaged his dad and his dad lives in San Antonio. And that's where Matt wanted to be is San Antonio. And I said, we're already gone from Phoenix. Let's try San Antonio. And we messaged his dad and um, we mainly wanted to know if we could bring our dogs with us. <laughs> and his dad was didn't even answer yet. And I turned and I looked at Matt and I just took the picture off the wall. I was like, I am done. Like we're leaving. We are going to San Antonio. So we lived there for four months and then we moved here in May, 2009, I think. And what was it arriving here in San Antonio? What was it like? Oh, it was a relief not to be in Oklahoma. (laughs) Uh, No, I immediately fell in love with like the culture of San Antonio and a coffee scene because like we have 60 some coffee shops now, like that's crazy. And the amount of coffee shops that roast their own beans, that's like an interest that I would like to develop maybe when I have some time to do that. So you kind of arrive like in paradise here. Yeah. Yeah. With all the the good food, good coffee and. Yeah. So it's like. Because I mean, there's there's good eating here in San Antonio. There's good eating here, yeah. And it took me a while to be able to eat the spice of San Antonio because everything seems so spicy. Salsa was spicy. Everything's spicy. And now I just love it. Like I am San Antonio through and through now. There you go. Shout out San Antonio. Converted completely. Converted completely. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you get here to San Antonio and and what happens? How does it take off? Well, in San Antonio, um, we had gotten here. Uh, my husband ended up getting a job downtown at a hotel as the food and beverage director. 
Um, he was happy settling into that. And then I had gotten our kids in school and was kind of like starting to rebuild, like getting our own house, getting that kind of thing going. And, um, then COVID hit. And so he got laid off probably a month into COVID and I was like, okay, it's got to pick up, like it's got to not necessarily go away, but get better. And then it looked like they weren't going to bring his job back at all. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to sell baked goods from the house. And um, I wasn't sure if anybody was going to buy them. I mean, it's 2020. I was Lysoling everything I brought in from the grocery store. I was, you know, saying hey to my neighbor and then running back in, in the house like everyone else. So I was like, is there a chance that people are actually going to even want this? Um, so I actually made my business as Zadeb and Craft um, because I like to craft in my free time. And so I thought, well, if nobody wants my cinnamon rolls, maybe they'll want something else. <laughs> so I started making uh, masks at first, and then I started with a couple other ideas, but I never actually needed to do any of that because the cinnamon rolls just took off. Like it just... How did you start promoting? Whew. It was next door. Next door. Next door. Who's not on next door nowadays? I know. And I was just meeting so many of like... it fed into my sense of community like everybody was in the area and I said hey listen you know I just started this business everybody's locked down um I'm selling cinnamon rolls $20 for a dozen and just the first week was 10 dozen and then I said you know if I can sell 10 maybe I can sell 20 and so I sold 20 and then I sold 30 and I said you know people have got to be tired of these cinnamon rolls eventually (laughs) so you need another backup plan and I learned bunt cakes. And so I started selling bunt cakes. And by learning, what do you mean I started learning? How did you learn? Well, I start by comparing a ton of recipes so that I get like the method down. Okay. Because for baking, there's a method for everything. And then I start, like I use kind of my culinary past to develop the flavor. So it's, I don't necessarily do it the way a baker would do it because they're very mathematical about things. Everything has a weight and a percentage. For me, I just take this out and put that in, you know? And that's very, like, culinary to just, like, improv the recipe like that. So then once I started developing a little bit, like, this is dry, how do I fix this? This is this way. And just never selling anything that wasn't perfect. Lots of it went in the trash, Lots of it went, you know, to free for my neighbors to try and my family to eat. Um, But just being like, this isn't good enough to sell and I'm going to stick to only good things to sell. And so I developed a few flavors of bunt cakes and I started thinking, what would connect people back together? So I started selling them in smaller packs so you could give them away. So you could buy two six packs of bunt cakes, one for yourself, one for your neighbor, And I started to encourage people to just like leave treats on their neighbor's doorsteps because I thought all these people want to support me, but I can't possibly expect them to constantly need enough baked goods to support my family. So I started to just get creative with it. Like this is a share pack. This is on special this week. And so I started to develop specials and techniques, but really they were developed out of my own selfish need to like learn techniques learn the cookie technique, learn, you know, the biscuit method, learn these things that like a baker should know. And you mentioned YouTube earlier. Oh, yes. 
So whenever somebody would come to me with like a cake that I just had no idea how it was put together, I would reach out to some of my friends that are bakers, ask them, and if they didn't know, I would YouTube techniques, like how to get the icing super smooth to make these cakes look this way and how to make fondant characters and how to dye fondant and just like learn skills. And I'm really grateful that those videos exist because I can't imagine how long it would have taken me to develop some of these skills if I hadn't been able to just see it. Like shaping bagels. I watched so many videos on how to shape a bagel and just seeing how they do it and seeing like the texture of the dough and the way that they work with it helped me just like know how to make a bagel. And I'm really grateful that like those tools exist because it really helped me develop the business faster, I guess. So from baked goods, it, I mean, like you said, you know, eventually people are going to not have a need necessarily week by week to be ordering for you. How do you take your baked goods and, and start extending to more people, more than just what, who the people that are next, uh, next door or your, your neighbors or the people that were already buying from you? Asking them to share my Facebook page. Um, it all started on Facebook. I actually wasn't on Instagram until like four months after my business started and I wasn't posting anything on there. I still don't entirely understand Instagram. Um, so a lot of my business came from Facebook shares. A lot of family, um, my husband's family lives here in San Antonio. Um, so my sister-in-laws were sharing that. And one of my sister-in-laws is a um, teacher so she was sharing it and all of her like high school friends, their families, her teachers, their families were seeing it. And I was getting new business from that. And then just trying to keep people inspired to keep sharing it because social media just drives the business. And so to be like, please share this, please like this, please follow this, not necessarily buy from me, just, you know, you help sharing. me spread the word. Yes. Yeah, spread the word bird. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Spread it. How did you get into the, the market thing? Uh, markets came after someone suggested it. Um, so markets happened for me because um, a friend that I had met through a mutual friend, her name is Selena. She owns the Bra Box and um, she's a local business here in San Antonio, um, a little bra boutique. And she was having a sixth anniversary party. I think it was the sixth. And she invited, she wanted a bunch of small businesses, women owned to come out and like to feature them. And I took a tent in this like raggedy table uh -huh. and it, it was just like, I was so intimidated by this little market and I had so like hand sewn my own banner out of old curtains that I had and a cricut. And so I just made a banner out of what I had. I had no money to invest in it. And so we show up and I just felt like, so ranky dink and ridiculous and it was so hard because of what you were seeing because of everybody yes, else or why yes Every, like there was this really cute like shabby chic like boutique shuttle bus and a cute cupcake camper and like all this stuff and I was just like wow like they have a business I have zero business being out here and surprisingly like they sold me out like quick and just seeing that many people come out just to support that I was at a market was just an eye opener for me that there are people watching and people who don't necessarily need the big goods, but they're supporting me in it. 
And I texted my best friend and I said, oh my God, you should see the people out here, you know, like this adorable thing and this and that. And she was like, comparison is a thief of joy. And I was like, comparison is a thief of joy. Comparison is a thief of joy. And I just kept my eyes on my rinky dink table and what I had to sell. And I talked to everybody who walked by and made that contact. And I gave them a business card and I had them follow me. And that was kind of like, if I can sell it there, why couldn't I sell it at a market, you know? So then from there, we looked into markets near us to try and get into one because you have to apply most markets to make sure that there's an opening for your type of business. It's a good fit for you and that kind of thing. So we opened with Hebner Oaks. How did you start developing your, from going from a rink-a-dink <laughs> as you uh, referred to it, how uh, did you, what did you do to start making yourself feel a little bit more legit? A little bit more legit. Uh, well, I started to upgrade things slowly. Okay. So every week I set aside like a hundred dollars to reinvest into the baked bird. Um, and then that started with like these spandex tablecloths that just went over these rinky tables. So no one could see what kind of table was underneath them. It just was black and nice and smooth. And then I was like trying to make my tent look visually appealing like when you go into a bake shop and you see a big display case of baked goods and you just think wow this looks so good I just want to eat it and different varieties of boxes and ribbons and smiling a lot of like hey do you want to try what we have and selling them on a sample and talking to them about my business so that they feel invested in what I'm selling and then slowly I just pushed it back in like a hundred bucks a week, you know, just more boxes, fancier boxes, clearer boxes, ribbon, um, stamps, stickers, like small things that I could pass out that people would see and follow me. (laughs) So by this time your business was already called the baked bird. Yep. So I changed it probably like a month into it. Um, because I wasn't, I, I didn't have to craft to make it happen. And I was only baking so and you had to re rethink. Yeah, I had to the rethink name. it. And when and, I, ha- and how did you come up with this name? <laughs> well, I don't know. This is no. <laughs> <laughs> this might be edited out. No. <laughs> uh, so I was actually like thinking in my head if everyone continues to purchase all of these baked goods, I knew that I didn't want to just do baking. I wanted to sell coffee. And so I was thinking, how can I develop this business past just baking in my house and that's all there was? And so I started thinking like people are up early, like birds, right? Like getting up with the birds. And then I was thinking baked and I'm thinking, I was thinking all these names. Like I wanted something that reflected who I am, but everything I came up with, it didn't seem like I didn't want people to perceive me in a wrong kind of light. So I was thinking like, oh, the naked bird to be funny. But then I didn't want people to be like, oh, that's kind of weird. You know? <laughs> what kind of raunchy <laughs> business kind of is raunchy this? Business is this? <laughs> so I just like went to the drawing board with it. And um, I thought, what if like I used baked as a double meaning? Baked as in baked goods. Baked as in you're baked. Like, yeah. That way I could blur the lines a little bit and start to develop maybe like a business 
like a, a vision for what I wanted to go for because people think, you know, like edibles are baked goods and it just came like, what if like Chiba Hut does all these pot puns and that kind of thing. And, um, medical marijuana is very like, it's up and coming. It's coming to Texas eventually. What if I used it as a double meaning where I kind of used my pet bird who we didn't have at the time. <laughs> I just started using like a clip art bird as my logo. And I was like, how can I develop this bird into kind of a character who represents who I am by putting him in like funny situations, you know? And so I was like the baked bird, this makes sense. And my husband was like, that is odd, but I'm here for it. Like, okay. And then probably a month after I had uh, changed the name of the business, we adopted our parrot jalapeno. And so he was green and the clip art bird I used was green. And the reason I used green is because it was my favorite color. So it all just kind of like looped back into a big circle. And I was like, what if I made jalapeno our mascot? And it was just crazy how it all just kind of like came together. And I was like, I'm going to make him the logo. He's going to be like the mascot. The celebrity. The celebrity. Everybody Does he know that he's a celebrity? I always joke with him. And I said, jalapeno, if I ever go down, you're the only one who knows the recipe. <laughs> Yeah, the only one. He's always in his cage, watching, squawking, screaming, doing his thing. So he is the one to go to. Um, no, it just like came together because I thought baked goods, I could maybe develop this into like a persona or like a vision of some kind. And then when we were naming the truck, it the micro hash house came as a double meaning because hash, like marijuana hash, and then we were like, but really a micro hash house is a thing. It already exists. Um, it means a cheap restaurant. And so we were like, if we're a micro hash house, it all kind of just flows. The business idea is there to be a mobile, quick, cheap breakfast. And so just slowly, piece by piece by piece became a brand and not just like a rickety table and an old <laughs> curtain. <laughs> and and you brought it up right now, the truck. How did the notion of the truck even arise? The truck. So I had always wanted a food truck. Um, I always thought it would be a coffee truck um, and just the coffee truck. And then it was just like, we were at the market. The market starts early, starts at eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And I'm selling all of these baked goods. You know, I'm selling brownies and cookies and biscuits and scones and all this stuff. And everyone's like, Oh, I'm good. I don't want any cookies. It's too early. It's too early for cookies. So I started focusing my energy on two separate categories, which was breakfast and then after breakfast. So in the first part of the market, I would say, hi, would you like to try a scone? Would you like to try a cinnamon roll? Would you like to try a biscotti with your coffee? All of these things that would be deemed breakfast pastries and then as it would hit about 11, I'd start to say, I have brownies and cookies. And like, I would start to develop, like switch, right? Just switch in the menu, like a restaurant yeah. would. Adapt it to your needs, basically. Yeah, so I could see like, I like to study people and I like to study situations. I like to read facial expressions and I like feedback. So every time I got that feedback, I just used it 
to manipulate it into a different direction. Oh, they want more breakfast? Great. I'll bring muffins and scones and all this stuff. And then I know that at 11, they're not going to want breakfast anymore. So I don't have to push that stuff. I'll push lunch, dinner, dessert type stuff. And samples. Samples are the key. Samples are everything because nobody wants, they're like, oh no. And I did it too before I went to the market. I said, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And now I wish I would have tried the jelly and I wish I would have tried the cookies because now I know personally kind of how it feels, you know? And so everyone kept saying about breakfast for probably two months. And I said, Hey Matt, let's open a breakfast truck. Like everybody wants breakfast. We're at this farmer's market. Why can't we sell a breakfast sandwich? Now, was he working still? Nope. He wasn't he working. He has never went back. He has... Become, no, but at that moment that you came up with the idea. Nope. He was... That was when he from had gotten COVID. laid off? Yep. This whole time. So this was from August until January when we went to the market. And then at January, we started talking about the food truck, getting more serious. And so we started to invest all of our energy in opening that. And I kind of sold him because he is a sucker for eggs, Benny. And so I was like, but you make a really good hollandaise. Wouldn't you like to sell that to everybody? <laughs> and now if you've stopped by the truck, you've probably heard him talk about hollandaise because it's his <laughs> That's baby. That's his specialty. His baby. His baby. <laughs> so I said, what if this is like a thing where we can get ourselves back into culinary where I'm more comfortable, but I can kind of use the market that I already, I already had probably 900 followers on Facebook which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of followers. But I felt like I have all these people right here that love my baking. What if I use the same items, but instead of selling them a bag of biscuits, I sell them a biscuit sandwich and I sell them biscuits and gravy because all of my family loves my gravy and my biscuits. So I said, there has to be a market for this if you do it right. And so that was my main concern was just like, am I shooting shots? where I shouldn't be, or is there something here? And I think every day that the Baked Bird is open, when we sell out, like, whoa. Like, I read the crowd, and I'm on the right path to where I want my business to be. What was his reaction when you brought up cooking and food truck and... uh, The food truck. Let's let's start a business. What did he say? Well, the food truck, at this point, when we were talking about the food truck, I had been doing a lot of cakes and things, and it was getting a lot to get to the market and to get the cakes done. And I said, I looked him straight in the face, and I was like, be my business partner. Like, Just like that. do this. And he looked at me like I was absolutely insane. <laughs> and I was like, give it some time, and if it doesn't bring you joy, and you want to go back to what you were doing before, go. Like, don't feel like you have to live... What I want, my food truck dream, let's just see where it goes. Give it a chance. Make it like ours instead of just mine. And so then we started writing a menu. And it turns out we like a lot of breakfast food because we had like 500 menu items. It was insane. Which definitely had to be narrowed down. uh, Narrow down, please. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we talked about opening a brick and mortar. We talked about, you know. Why didn't you go down that route? Uh, so a lot of reasons why. So this was still in the middle of COVID. And so we didn't know when is everything going to open back up? Do we want the square, like the square footage to like have an eat-in restaurant, but all those seats you have to turn over so many times. So the money, we're like startup money. Great. 
But after that, to sustain that when indoor dining wasn't happening was scary. And then nobody has work. Nobody has helpers. Nobody has employment like out there. And I didn't want to have to have a line cook, a dishwasher, a prep cook, a waitress, all of this stuff. I didn't want that. I wanted to be the person that was running it. And so did he. So I said, I'm dependable. You're dependable. Let's just depend on each other and um, focus the business on strengths that we each have and combine them together. And so we, we stopped looking at brick and mortars right away. And I also like the idea that I could just shut it down. Like if I want to go on vacation and take my kids to the beach, I can plan for that to happen. But if I have a brick and mortar, it has to be open so I can make the money to pay the to lease, to pay the employees. And it's just not where I see the baked bird, you know? At least not in this moment. Not in this moment. Um, I also like that I hand make everything. So I am held accountable for what gets sold. When people love the biscuit and gravy or... God, if they hated it, I could change it. And there isn't somebody who's working for me making those changes to fit what they think is the best gravy. It's me and our vision, you know? It's just, he makes this, I make this, and we work together and be, we're honest and critical about each other. You know, if I bake biscuits and they look crazy, he's not afraid to be like, what is this? And then I taste the gravy and I'm like, what is this? You know, we just keep each other accountable because we both take pride in like who and how we are viewed as a company. And do you guys ever have your days, your like your off days where you're, if he does question your biscuits or you question his gravy, <laughs> he's day. like, why are you questioning it? Okay. It's my gravy. Leave it alone. Yeah, basically. Well, and what's funny is like, uh, we've been together for so long now that everything is just like ours. It's not mine anymore. And with the recipes, it's like I originally wrote the recipe for gravy, but most days he makes the gravy that goes on the truck. And then, you know, it's just the opposite. Like I had to make an English muffin. He wanted to buy English muffins. And I said, no. And he said, well, you just have to make it better than I can buy it then. And I made him an English muffin and I watched him eat it. And I just knew that he knew that I could make a better English muffin than he could buy. So it's just challenging each other. And sometimes when we're on the truck together, we're just line cooks cooking together. We're not a married couple anymore. We're just two passionate cooks cooking together to put out a product that just happens to represent us as a business. There's days where we drive each other insane, you know, getting the truck up and running. Have you ever had days where you're just like, maybe you're really busy, you're slammed or something like that. And I don't know, maybe you get a little nervous and you talk to him a little bit uh, more sternly than you usually do. And it's like he gets offended or something. And then at the end of the day, you close everything down and it's like, hey, you, you hurt my feelings the way that you talk to me or stuff like that. Do you guys ever have to apologize at the end and be like, that wasn't me. I'm end. sorry. <laughs> we don't wait till the end. Oh, really? Like, I'm fiery. So <laughs> mid shift. <laughs> and it, I have no problem. So it's like what makes like. A woman line cook is so rare. Like we're like, what? I worked in a kitchen with 10 guys at a time and it was just me. And sometimes we go to those like primal line cook days where it's like he says something, but someone in my past has said something similar. And I'm just like, no, we're going to do it this way. Like I have, 
I say it sharp and I say it mean, but it's not like I'm talking to my husband. I'm just like defensive. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't necessarily mean it, but it's been done. And so I'm like, oh, we're going to do this. And we have no problem just checking each other, you know? And sometimes it's just like, that's not how I meant it. And I'm sorry. But every day we walk off the truck, I feel like we just leave it behind. So like if something happens or something said, it's just, it's done. Let it, you know, just let it go. And at the end of the day, we both have the best intentions. So when we say something to the other person, I don't think it's being critical on purpose. I think it's just making sure that the other person's aware of what is going on, I guess. I have a hard time sometimes I say stuff and the way I say it, it's like, it sounds critical. (laughs) And then he says, a lot of people hear us call each other chef. But uh, when we do that, it's actually we're like, mad at the other person really <laughs> yeah now so, i know okay chef and like you'll say yes yeah, chef heard chef and like it's just his way of telling me to go off <laughs> next time i go out to the big bird if i start hearing chef being thrown around i'm gonna be like Ooh, it's like there's war in here <laughs> i'm gonna place my order and then walk to my car and wait quietly in the car yeah get out of this no <laughs> um yeah it's just it's it's an experience. Like you never know until you're working that close, you know. And and not everybody has that luxury to be able to be working yeah. with the person that you not only work with, but you go home to and raise your kids with and yeah, sleep yeah. next to each other yeah. and or stare at or angrily st- in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's um it has its pros and cons, I think. Yes. And I think that's one of the best things is because uh, we are so different in personality that we really, uh, opening this truck has really just like highlighted that we're different in personality, but it's for the better. I would be like, yeah, let's do this and this and this and this and this. And he's like, no, we're going to do this and this and this. And what we excel at is just different. But when it comes together, it's like a necessity. I need him to help me lift the generator onto the truck he needs me, you know, for the biscuits and the English muffins so that he can make them. He needs me to do the social media and I need him. Like it could just go on forever. We, everything we need is just like, we have to work. It's 50, 50. It has to work together. And I'm really glad that we did the food truck because he's very dependable and I'm very dependable and it's helped our business grow. I think because there isn't a huge variation where it's changed hands six or seven times. It's stable and it's consistent and it's what you love when you go. I hope when you come, you're like, I need this because it's so good. And when you get it, it's just as good as the last time you had it. So you decide to go for it, go with, go with the trailer. Where do you start? What's the first thing you do? We started looking for used trailers, which are not easy to find right at this moment. And then we got concerned with what if we get a used trailer, but it has all these issues and we end up investing money that we could have ended up buying a new trailer. So we end up buying a new trailer. Um, so we went to all of the food truck dealers around San Antonio, all the surrounding ones. And we kind of were like, this one was kind of not my vibe. This one was too expensive. This one didn't finish it this way. And we picked the one that we did, which we went with the food trailer down off of Babcock and Orsbach, I think, down in the medical center area. And let me ask you this. I mean, what kind of questions were you asking these people when you were going in? Was it just how much is it? Um, And yeah, that's pretty much it. Or 
for example, I didn't know this, but um, there is a difference between the trailers that are made in Mexico that are brought over here and a big difference between the, I mean, uh, with the trailers that are made here in the USA. I, I had no idea. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was kind of Matt's department. He looked into that because I was making cakes in the background and I was just trying everything I did was, uh, marketed towards, we're going to open a food truck or we're going to do something past this. So he kind of looked into that stuff and, um, that's what he looked into also was, is it American made or is it made in Mexico? A lot of them are made in Mexico and mm -hmm. what is the difference and is it a difference that is something that matters to us or is it something superficial? Is it like you want to buy it from the United States or you, you know, vice versa. And so he started looking at that and he joined a few like food truck groups and was kind of asking questions like, what should I be looking for? Like on social media? Yeah. So like Facebook groups and that type of thing. Okay. That's and good to know because see, I didn't know that. Yeah. There are a lot of help because you can bounce ideas there they've already bought a truck or they're looking to. And so a lot of it was how's the wiring like to support yes. all of the things that you're putting into your food yes. truck. The espresso yes. machine just takes all of our power. And so we had to calculate the amps of how much it was for the espresso machine and for the fridge and for all the stuff, the air conditioning or the water pump or whatever. And then we had to go buy generators and figure out how many watts and all that stuff. So it's a lot of mechanical stuff before opening it, checking, you know, how they did things. And there's certain, I can't remember now off the top of my head, there's certain things that people had mentioned directly to look at. And we verified like, you do this, right? You do this, right? And so when they said no or had kind of like a shady answer, that's when we were like, okay, this isn't for us. We're going to go a different direction. And we've had some problems with our truck. So, I mean, anyway. and, and for anybody that's listening, that's having that inkling towards doing, going in all in and with a food truck, there are a lot of, uh, the, and I mean, this is just, you know, some of the things that we've faced, but yes, for example, us, when we bought the trailer, it was, it is a trailer made in Mexico and we did have to, my husband had to go in and do the re, the, the electricity, like rewire the whole thing because it was not up to par with what we needed it for. Um, the espresso machine takes a lot, a lot of energy. So in the beginning, um, and then, uh, two, they, the, it was sold to us with a generator, but it wasn't, uh, the best like, it, I mean, it would turn it on and keep it on and stuff like that. But it, honestly, it wasn't up to par with what we needed. So there would be in the beginning, there would be times where we would be uh, running the espresso machine and it was super hot. So we would turn on the AC. But then if I needed to, to pull a shot, I needed to turn off the AC because if not, it wouldn't work all the way. Or, so it's like, you know, be really careful, be diligent. Um, and, and just like Jen said, you know, maybe joining some of these Facebook groups, uh, these these uh, groups on social media is a good idea because that way you can ask people who, who have already been there and done that and know what to expect. <laughs> and I think like a lot of times when people buy a food truck, I saw somebody say that they were going to, that she was 53 and she was going to use a food truck as a retirement project. And I looked at Matt and I was like, please no. <laughs> oh, wow. Like it is so much work to run the food truck physically and mentally that it's just like, you go into every day with like a positive attitude and that you're going to take on the day, but also kind of prepared, you know, prepared to just witchcraft something together and fix it because our generator is already gone out. We've only been open for eight months. It went out the first time we got it fixed. 
And now it's in the shop because we blew like the engine and they had to send a whole new generator because it's still under warranty, thankfully. But we couldn't wait, so we had to buy another generator. So now we have two, which is great because if one goes out. Yeah, it, that's a good idea to have, we a, have backup. a backup one. But in the time, it was a huge financial setback because we had to buy a new generator because we have all these events lined up for the next week. And if we don't show, then we're not in business. Yes. So, and those things are expensive. Expensive. We also, um, I don't even know what it's called, but we broke something um, a while back on the trailer, something to do with the hitch. Um, that was a very costly uh, repair. Yeah. And sometimes also. I think people envision like when we were looking at a brick and mortar, I know that we were looking at it and we were seeing all of these costs like wiring and water and things there, but it's the same thing, but on wheels. Like, yeah. I think it's easy to think, well, I own this trailer and I own it outright. I'm not paying rent and this is great, but then there's just always a cost. I feel like if it's not, you know, if it's not a necessity, it's kind of a want like, us getting we got a butcher block top put underneath our espresso machine um which has been a savior um we bolted the actual machine itself to the butcher block and then the butcher block to the refrigerator that it's on so we didn't have to ratchet strap it down all the time and it wasn't necessarily a need it was a want so i saved aside pennies for it you know to get it built up and now i'm so grateful because i have not to strap it down and I also have extra space to set the coffee when it's finished because on the tabletop before, I didn't have that space. So I think it's constant investment yeah. and energy. If you're not cleaning it, you're fixing it. If you're not fixing it, you're working it. But I think it's great because you're your own boss and you represent you and you can go out and do events and all of these things on a whim. You know, you have yeah. wheels. If it doesn't sell well in one area, you just go. Like yeah. you don't have to go back to that side. So there's pluses, but there's also a lot of work. Definitely. In other work. words, please don't go in this thinking that it's <laughs> yes. cheap because yes. it's not cheap. No. And sometimes it's sad because you just bought something. Like we've had four sets of axles on our truck. We're going on the fourth set right now. And luckily our truck is still under warranty, but it makes me nervous for when it's not under warranty because these types of things are so costly for a small business and you just kind of have to have a little rainy day fund. You do. Set aside. That or be really creative. <laughs> yeah, be really creative. You can redo your own axles and wiring. <laughs> or know somebody that knows somebody that yeah. can hopefully hook you up. And trades. Everyone do trades. Yes. Yes. Like, I will give you yokesters for the rest of your life if you fix my sink pump. Have you, uh, you've mentioned a few, but has there been any business owner growing pains that you've had to endure or you're maybe currently going through? Yeah. Um, for the most part, I'm really grateful. Um, it's been somewhat successful and I think on the front of the business, it's been very smooth sailing, but on the backside of it, like trying to build a network with other businesses sometimes is challenging. And then I also think social media sometimes is a challenge because since it's only Matt and I, um, I'm busy, he's busy, and then I have to kind of whip up something for social media. And it's like the game has changed, you know? You have to have a picture or a... A nicely uh, edited nicely with edited. night light yeah. and nice lighting. And yes. it's not and just it's not, an any old yeah. picture. Yeah, and like I'm always very self... Um, reflective of what I post because I don't want someone who's out there who who might be 
uh, watching from a distance to have fuel to like watch in the background. Just say, oh, this was this way or this was that way and critique it. You know, I'm always very self-conscious about what I post and what the public can see. And it's hard for me to be kind of the face. Like I post a lot of videos with me talking in them. But then honestly, I just want, I said, you know what, this is business and this is what drives my business. So I started posting the videos and I started taking the pictures and I really saw an increase in my social media following when it was just kind of like being thankful, being honest and just showing what we do and maybe getting people to give it a chance, even though the picture wasn't lit correctly. <laughs> Cause you know, to be honest, if the picture doesn't have the best lighting, it's because I am busy. I am making Pop-Tarts. Which is good. Yes. It's a, staying busy is good. And I think it's like always interesting that when people show up for the truck, like they either just come because their neighborhood posted about us. And then later they'll write me and they're like, hey, I went back to your social media and I looked at your videos. I didn't realize the person taking my order was the person actually making my Pop-Tart. And they always shout me out and say, you know, that's really special. Like, that's cool. I feel connected to that. I can't wait to see you guys again. So... It has its pluses. I guess the negative of it would be if you don't post, they really don't come sometimes. Like if you're not constantly there, just, hey, look at me. I'm out here selling breakfast from this time to this time and leading them to you. Sometimes it's like, will anybody come? And the thing is that sometimes we don't realize, but people have, and I, I include myself because I follow um, other small businesses and even before um, my, my coffee trailer, I followed small businesses, not just because of the pictures or, or uh, the videos that they were posting, but because of the story behind the person that's making whatever's in the picture, whatever's in the video. Like you want to know, I mean, and it's not necessarily, not saying that everybody's like this, but it's not necessarily, oh, I want to know your business, but like, I want to know about you. Like what drives you to, to make this pop tart or what drives you to make this delicious breakfast or, or this coffee that's delicious or whatever, you know, but I want to know more about you. And I think that a lot of people, especially here in San Antonio, there's such love and support for small businesses. Um, people have a, a special place in their heart for, for small business. They want to know you. Like they want to know the, the, not just the pretty finished product, but they want to know the messy, you know, what it took to get to that finished product. They want to know that. Do they? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I no started to notice that too, because people were seeing our kids by the truck and like spring break and summer is coming and, you know, babysitters are expensive and family can help. But at the end of the day, there are kids and we want them there. You know, they we want them to learn from us and to be part of the business. And I think until we started bringing the kids around, I didn't really notice that people were watching us as like us, us people, not just us business, you know, and they were invested in like what drives this family to keep keep food trucking, you know, and they see our daughter taking orders and they see our kids playing out back and they see those things and they feel invested. And it's really nice to see that, you know, just like random strangers that have become part of our flock and friends and they follow us. People drive 40 minutes for breakfast from a food truck. They drove past snooze and gyms and IHOP and all these places. And it's just like, they're invested in something more than just the edited pictures on social media. They're invested in like us as a business. And that's 
flattering. Could you say that those are the moments where you receive that affirmation? Yes, it's what that keeps me going. That you are <laughs> in where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yes. So one of our biggest accomplishments was going to this neighborhood out in the far, far, far west side. And we had a line that was 20 minutes to get to the window and 20 minutes for food, which we don't like to work a ticket time that long. Um, we had sold three times the amount of food that we've ever sold before. And we were doing pretty well up to this point. But this and this was, is just you and your husband in the trailer. Yes. Yes. Sometimes we have a cashier. Sometimes we have a friend that helps us out. This time was a new neighborhood. We didn't know what to expect. We knew surrounding neighborhoods and what they did for our truck. This was just overwhelming. This was like a, one of those moments that I could see myself st- like sitting there in the chair on this borrowed laptop computer dreaming about owning a food truck and having this business dream and then seeing all of these people in line and it was 30 degrees outside waiting for my food. And like sometimes I think you discredit like it's just a food truck or it's just this. But these people stood in line for that. And we just told them, hey, it's just us, you know, we promise we'll get to you. We're so grateful for you. And it was a rough day. It was like the longest four hours we've ever worked on the truck. And we sold everything. We were selling, you know, biscuits and gravy. We were offering toast because we had no more biscuits. We were, you know, selling everything we had, but just modifying what we could sell because so many people showed up. And when I got in the car, I just started to cry. My daughter's like, what? I was like, holy (laughs) shit. (laughs) Like, that was, whoa. Like, that paid our mortgage. That paid everything. You're going to make me cry. Um... It's, it's insane. Um, people don't know sometimes the struggles that small business owners go through and, and the heartbreaks that, because just as there are moments like the one that you just, um, mentioned, there are moments and situations where you go to an event and you go with, uh, really high spirits and, and with all, you know, your, your energy there and you expect you, you're 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 praying, you're hoping for the best, and it doesn't always go that way. And and people need to understand that, just like there are moments uh, where you, you know, just like you said, you sold, you sell out. There are also moments where you don't sell nothing. <laughs> you don't sell anything. <laughs> and yes, you you come back at the end of the day, and man, sometimes I don't even want to clean the trailer when when it's been <laughs> one of those days. I'm like, I just want to lock it up I and just, just go home yeah. and just forget about it. Because there's heartbreak in this also. There is definitely heartbreak. And I think like if I wasn't so motivated by food all the time, it would be more heartbreaking. But honestly, it's just like get up and try something else. Like that location didn't work. Try somewhere else. That's special. Like sometimes I'll do super crazy things. Like I made a scone that was chocolate, marshmallow, and peanut butter. Like a fluffernutter scone. And I thought it sounded delicious and it was such a hard sell. Really? No one wanted it. So I went home the next night and I had already made the dough, but I hadn't baked it yet. And I said, I'm going to change the topping. So I changed it to a chocolate ganache with like a peanut butter swirl and I sold out of them. So I think sometimes when you hit those roadblocks and you're like, I don't want to clean the trailer. I just want to lock it up and leave it here and hope somebody takes it and I don't have to open up the next day. I think you should just go home and like maybe reflect on small aspects that you could change for the next time. It could be the location. It could be the marketing of the location. It could be 
your special of the day. You know, we did that cochinita sandwich this weekend. And I know my husband was hoping it would just blow out of the water. <laughs> a lot of people didn't know what it was. And so I changed it to just be called a braised pork sandwich. And I described what was on it. And we sold so many more. So I think sometimes... So maybe it's, sometimes it's, it could be just the wording. It's just the way you word it sometimes. And I try to stay positive on my social media and come out with the sell the sold outs. Like, thank you so much for selling us out. But I also try to stay real. Like I came live here in your neighborhood when we were out here. And I was like, hey guys, out we're here, sitting here chilling. water. Uh, come by for breakfast, I guess, you know? And it's like, we brought our A game to, we bring it every single time we open the truck and it doesn't matter if we sell out or we sell five items. We're grateful for the person who spent $5 and the person who bought for their entire family. It doesn't matter. You're supporting small. And when you show up, it gives us the fuel to go the next day because it's a lot sometimes. Yeah. Anybody uh, that's listening and that's wanting to go into this business, Jen, and they're like, you know what? I, I think I could do this. What do you, what would you say to them? You can like, it's easy. And like, you just believe in yourself. You have a solid plan. Um, I took some business classes on, um, a website for like women's own businesses. It's called the business boutique Academy. And they had really great marketing points. Um, they also had you reach out and make friends of similar interests as you or business ideas as you. Um, and that helped me a lot because we were able to like Skype or video chat, um, email each other ideas and just bounce things off price wise. And I think you should always do, um, kind of like your research into it, you know, how much time are you willing to dedicate to this and, how do you achieve it? Get books on how to, you know, market yourself, develop your business, execute your business. Because I'll be honest, some of the ideas I had, I wouldn't be able to execute. And I'm glad that my husband was there to be like, how are you going to do that? I wanted to cook every English muffin to order, like on the flat top. And I was like, it only takes three minutes to cook an English muffin on each side. And now that I've been in the truck, I'm like, can you imagine instead of just toasting this English muffin I made earlier in the day, just doing it to order. And so I think starting smaller, starting focused and having someone who you can, who can not afraid to say that's not going to work. Like it's yeah, too we much. We need to rethink it, rethink it and staying inspired. It's easy sometimes to be like, man, I am tired and I am worn out, but reflect on the things you're grateful for. I'm grateful that like my business is doing well and that my kids are able to go with me. They might drive me absolutely insane sometimes when they're on the truck, but they're not at a babysitter's house and they're with me and they're learning things and they're proud of me at the end of the day. And I think that says a thousand things. So I think just being focused, staying focused on your own monkeys in your circus, because it's easy to compare but I also think you should compare because I think comparing and knowing your competition is also a strong point. I support a lot of my competition. Like you could be my competition. You sell coffee, but I like to watch you. I like to watch you grow. I like to not necessarily copy, but we all have to model and see each other and see what we're about. And then you get to learn, you know, from them and their mistakes and 
copy some of the things and like Instagram. I've learned so much on Instagram from following local businesses and just saying hashtags, which I hate. Yeah. (laughs) They actually do something. Um, so I try to stay on top of that and just be like, you know what? I want it. I'm going to put in the work and just not be afraid to work for it because it's not going to be easy ever. It's going to be a lot of work, but I think if you want it bad enough and you put enough work into it, it's possible. So we're three months into 2022. What are you? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, What, uh, what are you envisioning for the rest of the year? Oh, that's a good one. I'm hoping to get a little bit more stable. Right now, we're going every which way. We've been to Converse, the far west side, to downtown in a matter of three days. Which is one way of working. For anybody who's wanting to do a food yes. trailer, moving around is one way of working. You, yes. you avoid a lease yes. because if you're on location, you're going to yes. be paying a lease, a rent. Yes. yes. So that's one way of working. We started out in a permanent location um, and we were sitting there and we actually, looking back, we had good days. Like for the fact no one knew who we were, no one had had our breakfast, we'd been open four minutes. We had good business, but we looked at each other and we said, you know, we're getting a lot of return business, which is great. But if we get the same 15 return business, we're not getting new business. So we made the decision to just like, we're going to travel. We're going to go, we're going to see. And now we've been traveling around and we probably have four times the amount of following we had then. And a lot of people are willing to drive for us now and we're going to settle down Starting April 6th, we'll be back out to our location and we'll be there Wednesday through Friday. So we'll have like a balance of traveling and staying. And I'm looking forward to maybe having more time that's not related to the business because it's kind of become my entire personality. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think like one of the things that I love about owning a business is that I can control the time spent um, and how it's spent. And I just want to bring it back a little. I want to have a couple days off consistently a week where I actually maybe have one where I don't do anything for the baked bird. And then I want to grow it. I want to like, my goal is in the next three months, I want to have double what I have now and just followers and business. And then I'm, I have numbers in my head where I'm striving to be, but past that, like, People constantly say, will the baked bird be anything else? So will it be a restaurant? Will it be this? And no, like, I don't want that. I want this, you know, we're like living present right now. We're not looking to change it yet, but maybe, um, I would like people to come visit us at our permanent location and make it happen five days a week, but I'm not sure the area is the area for that to happen. So What is the address? What are you going to be your days and hours? And where can we follow you on social media? Well, the location we'll be at is where we started. Actually, we're going back to our roots. There you go. So it's going to be 1003 East Nakoma. Um, It's off of 281 and Nakoma by the Rockin' Monkey and Baseball Express. Um, Is it just you guys or there's going to be other trucks there? just us. Just you guys. Okay. So we made a connection with this guy through a friend and he actually owns the property. So this time moving forward, we're going to have our design on the back of the truck and a banner and um, a couple of tables for people to sit at. Are you going to have electricity? 
No. Oh, man. I wish. <laughs> Sheesh. Yes. Hey, you already know what I mean. And anybody Gas who prices. owns anybody who owns a food truck, if, if I'm asking for electricity, you already know why I'm asking yeah, for electricity. Yeah. So not at the time, but um, there is potential that they add electricity. Hey, that us. would be a blessing. That would be a blessing. And we've voiced our concerns with that. But um, right now, it's just if this location works, then we'll talk about adding electricity because there isn't a, a need for a food truck there permanently if it's not us. Yeah. So... Um, we'll be there Wednesday through Friday from 7 a.m. till 11 to start. And then we're probably looking to extend into maybe one in the afternoon, but it just depends on business flow. We'll also be offering order ahead services where you can place your order online. Say you're headed into work and you want to grab a coffee and a quick breakfast. That way you can set a time for pickup and we'll have it ready for you. Um, so I think that'll alleviate a lot of our problems that we had before. And then, um, we're going to be in the shade under the trees with some tables. So people won't have to eat biscuits and gravy on the hood of their car in the middle of summer. Social media, you can find us on Facebook at the Baked Bird SA and Instagram, the Baked Bird SA. Um, but as far as our full calendar of events, I always recommend that people check us out at www.thebakebirdsa.com. Jen, thank you so much once again for making the time to come out and share with us and opening your heart and sharing your story, because I'm sure that a lot of people that are going to be listening to this episode are going to be inspired um, by what you've what you've shared with us. Uh, I just want to tell you that you are I mean, you're phenomenal. Seriously, I know we haven't known each other forever but you are really cool. I really, I, I, I admire you. I admire the way that you work with your husband. I admire, um, your, I'm a fan of your food. I just want to tell you that you rock and I wish you the best. Oh my gosh. Calm down, Diana, calm down. Um, I want, I want, I wish you the best. Uh, I hope that, that nothing but blessings shower down on your, on your trailer, on your business, on your family. And I see the baked bird as um a brick and mortar one day i really do maybe when my kids are older <laughs> <laughs> um and i'm gonna be going in there and sitting down and eating yes, biscuits and gravy down. can you imagine like actually enjoying our food where it's not to go like that seems like a dream and i'm not gonna say names or anything like that but um a, a few weeks ago me and my husband went to go after we had we had worked an event or something we went to go eat breakfast and we um were at a restaurant and we were eating the breakfast and the breakfast is good. Okay. I mean, it's not like, it's not like, oh my gosh, blow your mind or anything like that, but it's good. And I'm like, you guys came up, you seriously did. And I, I told him, I'm like, do you think the baked bird one day will be sitting in a restaurant like this and eating the baked bird? And he's like, yeah, probably. And, and then we just left it like that. But seriously, you, you guys are in the mouths of a lot of people. You, you don't even, you have no idea. I hope so. And I hope it's always positive. You know, like we want people to feel positive about it. Walk away. A lot of people are afraid to try the coffee. Try the coffee, please. Yes. Try it. Try it. What's the the lavender? Lavender? The purple haze. Yes. Yes. Try it. Everybody is like, I don't know about lavender and blackberry and just trust my flavor combos because I've researched them and I've tried them. I actually just came up with a lavender and blackberry chai that I want you to try. Okay. So it's always like, I want the feedback. I want people to feel that way. I want them to feel inspired by breakfast, inspired by themselves, and just enjoy it. Like, you pay good money for food. You pay gas to get there. You should enjoy it. 
So I tell people, buy the coffee. Don't be scared of the coffee. Don't be scared of the scone. You won't hurt my feelings. Just tell me, you know what? I thought I'd like this and I wouldn't. But most of the time people are like, this is delicious. I will always order that. And the Purple Haze Latte has a following now that I'm just like proud of because people thought it was wacky and now it's a thing. So come try the Purple Haze Latte. There you go. Once again, thank you so much, Jen, for being with us. Thank you for listening. Um, please subscribe to the channel. Please share this episode on your social media so that your friends, maybe somebody that you know is starting to, to wonder about this food truck business and wanting to start their own business. Hey, this is something that is definitely going to help them out. Stay tuned for the next one. This was the Savage Podcast brought to you by Savage Coffee Company. We're located off of Alamo Ranch Parkway, 12221. Alamo Ranch Parkway, we're open Tuesday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 1, Saturdays, 8 to 2. Mwah.